0: For listening to Inside Black and Gold, Steve Geller, along with Jeff Nowak. Now, we're going to be breaking down a little bit about one of the Saints rookies, the 11th overall pick in this NFL draft, Chris Olave, who has really started to come alive. Uh, we saw, alive. saw him uh, have a good showing in Green Bay, uh, translated into the game as well on that touchdown pass. And I know you have, like you said some film footage of him to go over really excited just for the fact that he looks the part of that number 11 overall pick. I know a lot of folks were worried that the saints quote unquote gave up a lot to move up and get him, but they saw a need. They liked what they saw in the player, obviously and
1: went out and were aggressive and got him and you can't fault the team for that at all. Yeah. So first let well, let's hear from Chris himself on what happened on this play and then we'll kind of go through it. Uh, it was a play we called, and we kind of got a different coverage. So i have never seen that before, but I just try to get to my space. I had a time time clock in my head, so I just try to get to my space while, before that time uh, runs out. I got there and booked a great ball. Uh, it, was a, it was a great uh, offensive call at, at the end of the day. And again, we're, if you're listening to the podcast, um, there's a YouTube version of this. where We're going through the play, but I'll, I'll spell it out as well. So we have Chris Olave and Marquez Calloway. Olave's in the slot. Marquez Calloway is out wide. And what you're trying to do here is you're trying to set up kind of a natural natural pick where Olave is coming out of the slot and he's kind of pivoting inside. And he's going to bluff the slant and then work up the seam over the numbers, into that kind of corner where he ends up on the double move. But what happens, Marquez is coming up and then going to the post, which is going to drag that safety in his defender inside, which is supposed to – what you're trying to do is create kind of a, a window where Olave can just kind of sit and catch the ball where he did. But this is kind of a weird coverage. It's, it's a very exotic-looking zone for the red zone. And what ends up happening is the defense kind of forces Olave inside farther than he wants to go. You know, that's not where he wants to be. He already wants to be working upfield so he can kind of go under Marquez's hip and use that as kind of a natural rub um, to create that space. But he gets chucked inside. And what he does, and this is what I applauded after the game and got some grief because people were like, wow, it was an ugly route. It was a terrible route. Yes, this is an ugly route. But he, the way he recovers and finds his way back to the landmark that he's supposed to be on is what makes this a touchdown. A lot of rookies in this situation will get chucked inside and then just not understand where they are on the field and get lost. And then Ian Book's rolling out, and he's like, well, where is my receiver? This is what happened in our flag football game yesterday because we had no idea what we were doing. And all of a sudden, the quarterback's trying to throw to somebody, and he's like, you guys are idiots. You're not running anywhere. You're supposed to be running. And what Alave does really well here is finds his way back to his landmark. He's supposed to be coming up the numbers. So he kind of floats back up the numbers, sits in this space. And as Ian Book is rolling out, Olave is where he needs to be, where he's expected to be at the time he's expected to be there. And that's why you have a touchdown instead instead of a just dead play. Because once Book starts to roll out to the right, that is the only thing you can do is go to Olave there. He can't make another throw. Any other throw, he's throwing across his body, across the field. The only option he has is to throw to Olave or throw it out of bounds. And Chris makes it so you can make that throw. And that is not as easy as it sounds. You know, like, this was not busted coverage. The, this was the play working. And the play worked because he was able to get there. And I thought that it's the it's not the, the prettiest route you ever saw. It didn't go how it was supposed to go. But... It's just an example of a young player having really good awareness of where he is on the field, where he needs to be, and how to kind of sit in space and create that target. And he also showed up pretty good hands. I don't think this was like, I think we underestimate how difficult it is to kind of go away from your body and catch it and then work your way back into the field. I thought it was a very nice play. And Ian Book uh, thought so as well. well. What did you think, Steve? Well, I I love the breakdown here with the film. We're
0: looking like top-notch, and your breakdown was awesome. Uh, Just seeing Olave, too, once he gets to that 10-yard line and that quick turn and speed he puts on is really impressive. And we we just keep seeing um, more and more from this kid that's a a lot to love. And I'll go back to it again, just really anxious to see him more with Jameis Winston getting these kind of reps – this is this is obviously great for Ian Book and his confidence, but you know that that chemistry he needs to keep building up with Olave, uh, Jameis Winston. That is 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 going to be key, and I just I worry about that not being there week one in Atlanta, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what we got into uh, earlier, which is like how if this offense comes out and looks really rusty, and you drop a game because of that, I think you're going to start to question. You know some of the decisions did not get people reps in the preseason. But just to drive home the point is, uh, here is what Ian Book had to say. A lot of times I was telling him, it, it, we try to, once he pivots, try to get a little bit of an outside release and, and have him work that up the numbers, up the hash mark into the end zone there. Uh, the guy was playing so outside, so he did, he did a great job. We just kind of were on the same page. He, he, he got inside, and then he was still able to expand, which is huge. He got back on that landmark where he needs to be. That just... Uh, Shows you his feel as a rookie, which is pretty special. So, half roll to the right and was able to put it out uh, over that flat defender and before the safety was coming. Great, great call by RC too. Great place to run that play. That's what Book is saying. Is he's able to find his way back where Book can make that throw, and that's what makes this touchdown. He also said it was a great play call by RC. So one thing that hap- was happening in this game uh, that's worth mentioning is Ronald Curry, the quarterbacks coach, was calling the offensive plays. And in the past, it had been Pete Carmichael calling the offensive plays in the preseason. And then, obviously, Sean Payton takes over for the regular season in the past. Now, Pete Carmichael is the full-time play caller, so they want to find someone else who can be kind of a backup play caller in case, you like we saw with Sean Payton when he got his knee or his he broke his leg or whatever it was when Jimmy Graham kind of rolled into him and he needed Pete Carmichael to call plays. Last year with covid You know, Sean was out. All of a sudden, Pete had to call plays. Well, you feel much better in those situations if you know this guy has already done it. So it looks like Ronald Curry, the quarterback's coach, will be kind of the emergency play caller if they end up in that situation again. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Dennis Allen, you know, asked about that after the game. And uh, just goes to
0: show you this team, obviously always thinking about every scenario a la Sean Payton kind of thing, trying to plan for everything. Very smart and... You know, really encouraging. Yeah, you want to give some other guys on this roster a chance, an opportunity, uh, even in the coaching staff. And like you mentioned, you know, hopefully we don't have to deal with the dreaded COVID situation again this season. But in breaking case of emergency, well, the Saints will now have someone going well. We saw you got a chance in the preseason and uh, time to step up now in the regular season if need be. And you can go to Ronald Curry uh, in that and and not have to worry about him maybe overthinking it too much, not having any experience
1: doing it. Yeah. I also think Ronald Curry is going to be a head coach someday. And so, you know, the, the stepping stone is offense coordinator and and then head coach probably for him. So it's good to see him getting those opportunities. Okay. And so as we mentioned for the rest of the show, we'll kind of do a quick mailbag. Let's see. I'll, I had one up here. This isn't really a question either. Chris Sanders, he says, it's ATL. And I think you're saying like, it's Atlanta. We don't have to worry about Atlanta. But that's always the case, right? We're never supposed to have to worry about Atlanta, at least not the last few years. And uh, that's that doesn't seem to work out at least once a season, right? I think in 2020, they did sweep Atlanta. But 2019, you had that really, really kind of puzzling loss at home with, against the, an Atlanta team that I think was either 0-7 or 1-6 at the time. Last year, Hugh obviously lost to Atlanta at home again on that kind of last second play to Cordero Patterson, and that was the first game without Jameis. So, you know, you can obviously explain it away, but it's a division game. You can't go in there rusty and not ready to compete and expect to win that game. They have professionals on that team, too, and that's why when I'm concerned, it's more about you can't give up that game, right? Because it is Atlanta and you need to win those games because you're going to have a really difficult middle of the season. And you, you need to make sure you get all of those easy wins so that you're not, you know, behind the eight ball as you go.
0: I will say it's a little more at ease as a saints fan. I think seeing that they now have Marcus Mariota as quarterback instead of Matt Ryan and as much grief as Matt Ryan gets from the Hoodat nation, and the abuse that he took from Cam Jordan, obviously, over the years. I still think he's a pretty decent quarterback and expect him to do pretty good in in, in
1: Indianapolis, actually. Yeah, I, I'm happy for him. He got out of the dumpster fire while he still had an arm left on his body. Too bad the Saints don't play the Colts so Cam could get after him again, though. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Cam can get uh, another sack on him uh, before he retires. Passion, drive, and patience. So we have a question from Rachel Cusimano. Who is going to be that third running back? And what is your win-loss predictions for this year? Now, if you asked me after week one of the preseason, I would have said Dwayne Washington. And I still think it's probably going to be Dwayne Washington. But I don't know what he's dealing with right now. He didn't play in the second preseason game. He hasn't been out of practice the last two days. So that might be sorting itself out in the negative way for him in terms of he's going to be on the roster as a special teams contributor, assuming he is healthy. And if he's missing these reps now, it's going to be more difficult for him to establish himself in that role. And if he is not the RB3, then I think it's Tony Jones. Um, What what would you say? Yeah, I'd agree with you there about Tony Jones Jr.
0: just because that crack in the door opened up a little more now with uh, Dwayne Washington dealing with injuries still have not seen enough we mentioned it about Abram Smith and i don't think that even i mean unless he totally goes beast mode against the chargers can overtake either jones or washington in this last week or the preseason contest uh it would be, it would be either one of those two uh between jones junior or washington to be the rb3 behind camara and ingram and both of them have experience obviously on this roster with the playbook so uh,
1: that's another bonus that they have obviously over Abram Smith too the other guy i think who might be gaining an edge on Abram is Kirk Merritt as we talked about i think yeah that's just very interesting for sure the ability to just be an option at wide receiver if you're needed there i think this is the Saints team has shown time and time again that they very much value positional flexibility Right. I mean, I've run out of ways to say it, but there's so many players on this roster that play multiple positions or can play multiple positions. And that's one of the reasons that they are kept around PJ Williams, you know, Cesar Ruiz probably doesn't get drafted unless he also can play center. And, you know, I I think they've learned that they need to make sure he focuses on guard. Um, (laughs) And I don't think they want him to play center. And that's why you brought in Nick Martin. But I think that that was a big part of that pick because I think at the time, they were thinking, well, we can play him at guard and then not have to carry a backup center on the roster. And uh, I don't think that's worked out um, just because he struggled so much at guard. But I think that's, if you're looking for a reason to keep Kirk on the roster, I think you've found it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's obviously great for a a local guy. I know folks are uh, pulling for him as well. As for our win-loss predictions for the season, I went 10-7 and with the team. Uh, I, I think they've got tough stretch with the not only the teams that they have to play but just an unforgivable schedule in terms of such a late bye week uh, there's there's just it's brutal to me that you have to wait so long and I'm surprised and they didn't get the bye week after London but found out that that was by team's choice
1: well they had a really early a really early bye last year and I think that they didn't like that because I think that having a bye later in the year when you really need it is far more helpful than a buy in week five, because that means you play the final 12 weeks of the season or whatever, and then go into the playoffs without, without any rest, assuming you don't get a buy is only one buy in the playoffs. And now, so, you know, I think that they think that that matchup with Seattle is winnable enough that they can do it with jet lag. And I, I, and I agree, but you have to do it just like in Atlanta week one where you should be the favorite and you should go in there and win. You have to do it. And you just have to make sure you put the right foot forward. I went through the schedule when it came out and I did kind of a game by game prediction. And I, I put them at 11 and six because I just feel, I feel confident about this defense's ability to win games. I really do. And I think that if you can get out to a hot start, find a way to go 500 in the middle of the season, right? If you can go four and one and then go, you know, three and three, you're sitting at seven and four, right? And then you have a really, you know, the the schedule is really, it's not front loaded or back loaded. It's all in the middle. You have really winnable games at the, at the top of your schedule and you have really winnable games at the bottom of your schedule. And so if you can go four and one, three and three, and then four and one, you're right there. So I don't think that math adds up but three and four, then we'll call it. And, uh, and that will get you to 11 and six. And I still think that's doable. And I think that the real question is, does that win you the division? Right. And I think it'll depend on what happens in the tiebreakers. It'll depend on what happens with Tom Brady. <laughs> Cause I'm still not convinced he's going to be the quarterback for the bucks this season. I'm, I don't know. What he's doing, I've never seen a quarterback just disappear during training camp before and still have confidence about the team that he's on. But the Bucs are trying real hard to convince you they're not worried about this.
0: Yeah, the besides the quote-unquote personal situation that he had an excused absence for that was pre-planned, that's all weird to me. But the fact that also that Buccaneers offensive line t- is, keeps taking shots and I know they lost another guy to injury. And I wonder if Tommy Boy starting to think, oh, man, I am not. I don't have my protection. I don't have my security blanket and Gronk anymore. What did I do deciding to come back for this season after I had initially decided to step away? And we hear that one a lot, too. It's like, well, if you're thinking about retiring, you've already left the game. And th- th- it just seems like the Saints are definitely
1: set up to take this division. It's wide open for them, you know, especially if Tom – doesn't play. <laughs> but even if he does, you know, I don't think that that offense is where it needs to be to be to be confident in it. You know, anytime you win a Super Bowl, you start to have the, the exodus of players, you start to get players signed off, you start to lose assistant coaches. And yeah, I mean, I don't I don't feel like they're the Bucks are a juggernaut by any stretch. Um, there's Jerry giving us five stars. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate that. We have a couple more here. This, this one isn't really a question, but Kyle Brister pointed it out. Yes. Nef- Nephi Sewell. I almost said I almost said Nephi. Nephi Sewell is the brother of Pene Sewell. Yep. He is. Uh, I think Pene went to Oregon. He's an offensive lineman. Correct. And he was a, one of the top draft picks last year. I um, mean, yes, they are brothers. Yeah. Remember, like everybody was debating
0: where, where the Bengals going to take Pene Sewell or Jamar Chase. And mm-hmm. it was like, I think Joe Burrow wants his guy. And it's, luckily for them, they did go that direction. Although I'm
1: sure... Joe's wishing he had some more protection as well. Yeah. Well, that's that's something the Bengals should probably figure out before their <laughs> franchise quarterback dies and behind the line. Here's one other one that kind of that kind of caught me. This is funny because we just got a question that kind of completely misses it. So Daniel Blount says the drop-off from the first to second and third string DB is ridiculous. Now I'm you're talking about cornerbacks here, and I'm not sure what you've been watching, but I mean, to be fair, yes, there is a drop off from Marshawn Lattimore to Paulson Adebo, but there's going to be a drop off from Marshawn Lattimore to just about anyone who's not the top cornerback on a team. You know, it, it, it's like if you're if you're talking about Marshawn Lattimore and Jalen Ramsey, they're right there. You know, so I don't I don't know about that. But the funny thing is, so that's what Daniel says, and then Chris Sanders uh, just now. Do you think this year's DBs are the best in Saints history? <laughs> And I'm not trying to give Daniel a hard time. I appreciate you being in here listening. I think when you watch these guys play, you're going to change your opinion of just how good this group is top to bottom because the only question I have is Zelante Taylor because he's been hurt and we haven't really seen him, but I don't know if you're going to find a cornerback group that one, two, three is better than what the saints have right now. Bradley Roby, they traded for him because they thought they were going to need him as the starter but Paulson Adebo as a third round pick has played so well that he's probably not going to be able to get on the field outside of like rotational reps. And like, if the guy is hurt and you come in and so you have a starter waiting to come in as a sub, and that's not normal. You have Alante Taylor who is a second round pick and looks really good. Hopefully he can get whatever, whatever is bugging him sorted out. But you know, he's your fourth string cornerback second round pick. Who's going to be a star on special teams. And then you have, and we're not even talking about CJ in the exactly. slot, who had an incredible, we, we didn't talk about this. Jameis got back in the team drills today, and he was not greeted with much respect from CJ, who uh, Jameis tried to loft a ball to Jarvis Landry, and CJ just just reaches out with his right hand, just snares it like OBJ style, and just brings it down, and he starts talking. CJ was having a day. <laughs> At one point, it was I think it was Vincent Gray who got beat on a route and CJ just walks up and he's like looking directly at the media because Vincent Gray's right in front of us. And he says, come on, little bro. You're playing lazy as beep. <laughs> lazy AF, if you will. He did not say AF. Uh, it was just funny. Cause he's just like, that's who CJ is. CJ's not going to let you, he's not going to lose any reps because he's not playing hard. And he's not going to let you lose any reps because you're not playing hard enough. And you know, Vincent Gray, I think, he was playing like a guy who's pretty sure he's going to get cut. An assistant coach got after him at some p- one point during the practice too. He's had a rough, he's had a rough camp, but yeah, CJ, CJ is just there as a slot corner. So we're talking Marshawn Paulson backed up by Roby. Alante Taylor is just finding his way. And then CJ in the slot with PJ Williams, who, you know, you're talking about a seven year right? veteran who's who can do what you need him to do. It's not terrible depth either. So so when we're we're talking about PJ Williams as your fifth or sixth option as a cornerback, yeah, that's not bad at all to me. You're not going who, right? Uh, I think that from the secondary perspective, then you have Tyron Matthew. You know who? You know whether you think he's the top corp safety in the NFL right now, he definitely has a case for it. And then Marcus May, who I, I still don't know what to expect to expect out of Marcus May, but I know he's not going to be terrible. And I, I think it's more of a question of their their. Uh, consistency and communication and ability to play off each other than the talent level. May yeah. did have a nice pick of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and those joint practices which was cool. No, I think he's going to be solid and I think they've talked a lot about multiplicity is the word and kind of shifting them back and forth kind of have um like Tyron's going to play strong, he's going to play free, and then Marcus is going to play strong, he's going to play free, and they're going to mix it up. I think in theory that's going to work a lot better than it will in practice because I think that Marcus May is significantly more effective as a strong safety than he is as a free safety. And I think Tyron will be able to play both. But I think if you try to throw Marcus at free too much, you're going to get burned um deep and I'd I'd rather not see that more than you have to but I do think the ability to do it will will be able to catch some teams off guard so you know you kind of got to take it for what it is but yeah I don't I don't share Daniel's concern about the defensive backs if we're talking linebackers that's another story yeah, and just to throw in too, with the safeties and free safety especially too,
0: Justin Evans has been a guy that's been impressive all camp, and uh, he's one like a kind of
1: like a Chase Hansen you're just hoping can stay healthy. And he has Justin, I'm, you know, there's not a ton of roster spots to be had at the safety position, but I I really do think he's earned one. I hope they can keep him around because that dude hits, you know, and. You, you, you need certain things out of these depth safeties. You need him to play special teams. And you need him to come up and make tackles in space. And, you know, that is not something I am concerned about with Justin. We've seen him make interceptions. We've seen him lay the wood on people. And I really do think that he is a guy who should make this roster.
0: Yeah, and we were talking about with depth and safety. I'm not sure if a guy, a, a veteran like Daniel Sorensen has a spot or not because of, of how deep they are in the secondary.
1: Yeah, I think they signed Daniel Sorensen thinking that they were going to need an extra safety, and then they signed Tyron, like, well, okay. Mm, um, right. but He's a—he's uh, going to be a special teamer if he makes this roster, and so it's on the other guys to make sure that they have, they have shown enough on special teams that you don't need to keep a guy specifically for special teams because you already have one safety in JT Gray who is kept around specifically for special teams, and you don't want to have to do that with too many players. Well, that's going to wrap it up on this episode of Inside Black and Gold. Thanks for everyone who watched on YouTube, everyone who's catching the podcast. Make sure to mash that subscribe button. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve Geller on Twitter at Steve Geller, WWL. Check out WWL.com for all the latest news, notes, and analysis. Check out the sports talk on WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 and the Odyssey app. The Odyssey app that we are now on Inside Black and Gold. Go check it out. Thanks, everybody. One more preseason game. Who
0: adds them? The real deal. Let's go.